0: Today we have not one but two special guests on the podcast, and they are going to be diving into diverse books and how we can make diversity a priority within our classrooms and within our school. So I have Allison Briceño and Claudia Rodriguez Mojica joining us today to talk about just that. To give a little background history, Dr. Claudia Rodriguez-Mojica is currently an associate professor in the Department of Education at Santa Clara University and is currently the Bilingual Authorization Coordinator. And her research focuses on the classroom instruction of bilingual children and the intersections among language, race, ethnicity, gender, and culture as they relate to the teaching and learning of Latinx bilingual learners. She is also a former dual language classroom teacher, and I'm so excited that she is joining us. Dr. Alison Brissigno is an associate professor in the Department of Teacher Education at San Jose State University, where she coordinates the Multilingual and Multicultural Literacy Education Master's Program. Prior to this role, she was a dual-language teacher, a reading specialist, a literacy coach, and a district literacy coordinator. Her research explores the rich literacy practices of multilingual students and linguistically and culturally sustaining pedagogies. They are both a wealth of knowledge, and I thoroughly enjoyed being able to sit down and talk with both of them about this very pressing and important topic— If you are ready to dive in to how we can be able to ensure that we are indeed incorporating diversity into our classrooms, we'll meet you inside. Welcome to The Literacy Dive, a podcast for teachers who want to take a deeper dive into all things reading and writing. I'm your host, Megan Polk. My number one passion is, you guessed it, All things literacy and supporting teachers like you. Join me each week to learn teacher tips and actionable step by step strategies to help you grow as an educator. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Welcome back to another episode of the Literacy Dive Podcast. Now, as you heard in the introduction, we have two amazing women who are going to be coming on and sharing all about children's literature, but not just that, but the diversity that comes within it. And it's just going to be such a great topic for those of you tuning in. So before we get started, just so that you all be able to know who exactly you're hearing from, I'm going to have both of them introduce themselves to you, and then we're just going to dive into this topic. So I don't know who wants to go first, but we'll hear like a brief introduction, and then we will get started.
1: Good morning, everyone. I'm Allison Bristeño. I'm an associate
2: professor at San Jose State University. Hi, everyone. I'm Claudia Rodriguez-Mujica, and I'm an associate professor at Santa Clara University.
0: Awesome. Well, this is so great. I think you two might be my first guests that are professors at university, so that's like a fun milestone for this podcast. So I'm very <laughs> excited about that. <laughs> okay, so we are going to be talking about diverse children's literature and I know that this is very very important and it's a hot topic for sure I know across schools everywhere but could you just kind of like dive into why we should be using diverse children's literature and just what are some of the benefits and as well as some of the challenges with that
1: Sure and first like thank you for your interest in this topic it's like you said it's it's a hot one right now and sometimes maybe we don't talk about it and hear different perspectives enough. So thank you. So our thinking is that the goal is to expose students to a wide range of human experiences so that when they encounter people who are different from them out in the world, they'll know how to act in ways that are inclusive and respectful. And currently there's a huge mismatch. There's two really important mismatches out there. One is that The books that are published are not representative of the students we have in schools, right? We still, even as of 2021, two-thirds of the books that were published still had characters who were primarily white or animals or aliens or some other trucks, right? Some other representation. And then maybe the bigger one is that almost 80% of teachers in the U.S. are white, but fewer than 50% of students are white. So we've got this great diversity of students that's not represented in the teacher workforce. And so we want to make sure that all of our kids get to see themselves in books, as mirrors, and also to experience a bunch of different worlds in order to validate their lives.
0: I love that. So I think that this is, it's so important, right? Because especially the numbers, the stats that you're throwing out, we have students that are just varying I remember when I was teaching in Houston, I taught at an IB school, International Baccalaureate, and in my classroom, it was literally like a melting pot of the world, and I loved it. I think one of my years, I had 11 different countries represented in my own classroom, and so it started piquing my curiosity with diversity and inclusion and just how important that is for students to be able to see themselves. So with thinking about that, and again, that was like my first really big aha moment was like, oh my gosh, it's so important for students to to see themselves in text. So what are teachers afraid of when it comes to using diverse books in their classrooms, especially knowing that we all, I think, want our students to see themselves, but what are teachers afraid of?
2: Yeah, so we dedicate a whole chapter in our book to this question and also what teachers can do about this because that fear is real. And really, when we were, we were classroom teachers as well, elementary classroom teachers, and we felt that fear as well to different degrees. So some of the fear is new, right? And is a result of real significant things that are happening nationwide right so there's been pushes nationwide for book banning in different states and there's also been a narrowing down of the curriculum so some of this is because of what's happening happening just in the context across the country you know nationwide but then also we've also found that even before that or in addition to that some teachers are nervous about using some of these diverse books because they don't feel prepared to talk about some of these topics Right. And also to take a step back, when we say diverse books, we're not just talking about, you know, language, race and culture. We're also talking about immigration status. Right. We're also talking about religious differences, gender, sexuality, a lot of different things that have to do with diversity. Right. So some teachers just don't know. They feel like they don't know enough about these topics to be able to address them in the classroom with their students. We work with teachers. We prepare teachers. And some of them have commented to us that, you know, they feel ill prepared because they didn't they weren't exposed to these topics in the classroom when they were coming through schools. And we can relate to that as well. Right. Teachers are also sometimes nervous and concerned about what the families of students will say. You know, this is ranges from, you know, not really worried about this because, you know, I'm in a state kind of like California to some teachers that are very worried about this because they're in a state like Florida or Texas. Right or Pennsylvania, where there's a lot of book banning happening. So there's fear about not knowing enough about a topic, right, to be able to talk about it in in classrooms, but then also about what will families say, what will administrators say, what will teacher colleagues be saying about those choices, choices as well. And we really encourage teachers in our book to acknowledge these fears, not be embarrassed of these fears, because we all have them about different topics. And to really start with self-reflection, right, to reflect themselves, what am I comfortable talking about in the classroom? What am I less comfortable talking about? Starting from there to move forward and start the learning process, because in our classrooms you just shared, your classroom was so diverse, right? There's so many classrooms like that and diverse in different ways, right, about immigration statuses, language, and just family backgrounds and religion, right, that If we start kind of just learning a little bit about these different areas, we can do so much so that every single student in our classroom feels loved and represented and respected and valued because the teacher is making an effort to learn about them, right? And talk about them and using books as a tool to be able to do that.
0: I love that. And especially with you hitting on the fact of diversity being so encompassing of so many different layers that people are definitely in this community with. And so I like that you are definitely thinking about the whole child and the whole person because that child is going to turn into a person one day. And I think it also is just going to help if teachers can definitely think about bringing in diverse books and not being, you know, super afraid of talking about these topics or showing these topics. I think I'm just imagining what it would be like with people walking like no one's going to be looking at anyone with any type of way you know it's just going to be like just very well understood you know so with that how can a teacher tell if a book is authentic representation of diversity like what should they be looking for how can they be able to feel confident with like yes this is definitely a text that is doing exactly what i need and i'm going to bring this into my classroom
1: It's a great question. We actually dedicate a whole chapter in the book to this because it is such an important question. And especially because, like Claudia said, we haven't had this type of education in our schooling experiences typically, right? So it's like we don't know. And so one like quick and easy way is to learn about the author and the if an illustrator, if there is an illustrator. Most of the time there's information on the inside or the back cover. It might take a little bit of a quick Google search, but generally it's helpful if the author or illustrator is from the community they represent or has unusually strong ties to that community, because then you feel like they're they're bringing an authentic experience to their writing. Occasionally there are, you know, it's not 100% of the time that folks from outside a community might not be the best at representing, but you wanna be really careful about that and maybe double check. There's also like checking in with families, students' families and colleagues who might be have different home experiences. And criteria for selecting diverse books has been around for a while. And so we adapted some of the criteria to create a tool for teachers in the book. And so it includes things like looking at the author and illustrator, analyzing illustrations for stereotypes, looking at the power dynamics between characters, right? Like, is it the kind of thing where a female gets rescued by a male or something like that, or, or are there different power structures? So we do suggest that teachers kind of get into the habit of just thinking really critically about a text anytime they pick it up, because sometimes you'll have kids who will, right? And who will ask you those questions around power dynamics and that kind of thing. So it's such an important question.
0: Right. And I also, with all of this, you know, topic of thinking about the author and the illustrator, I mean, that is, that's also just a skill that we can teach students, right? Not just looking at the cover of a book and saying like, oh, this passes because the cover has a certain character on it or a certain person on it, or it's showcasing a certain symbol that might be represented. So just really taking the time to analyze and do the work so that it can be vetted as being a very diverse book that you're bringing in and then also just like bringing in more about that the author illustrator. So that's such a great tip. That honestly I I really haven't done that consistently with like looking at the back. So that's even just something for my own self where it's like, oh, every day we get to learn about really making sure that we are checking those boxes as much as we can to ensure that we are indeed bringing those authentic texts into the classroom. So thinking about just teachers overcoming skepticism, what are some of the clever ways that they can be able to overcome that with these books that they're trying to share in their classrooms?
2: Yeah, so we encourage teachers that have these concerns to really let people know in advance, right, that they're going to be using this book in their class that addresses a particular topic. So this could be as easy as emailing families or caregivers, you know, the topic of the book, the title of the book, and their reasoning for using that particular text in their classroom. So this really invites families to be able to preview the book if they want to, right? We can tell them, you know, I have two or three copies in my classroom, or I have one copy in my classroom. You're welcome to stop by anytime and read through it, or I'm happy to let you borrow it if you'd like to read through it on your own as well. And it also, if they do take the opportunity to read it or to purchase a book themselves, perhaps, it gives them the opportunity to ask the teachers questions in advance, right? And maybe talk through some of their concerns about the book so you can start a dialogue with families. So that's one of the big things we really encourage teachers to do is give families, caregivers a heads up. If you're at all a little concerned, right, about the reaction you're going to get, we also encourage teachers to notify their administrators, right? So that the administrators are prepared for any kind of potential parent concerns that may come up and also to give them an opportunity to ask questions if the administrators have any concerns themselves and to be able to have that dialogue. So a few days notice before that book is read is what we recommend, right? To reach out to administrators, if not more time. So reaching out to caregivers in advance, reaching out to administrators And in our book, we actually share sample emails, like the text that teachers can use. They can, you know, copy and paste it, modify it to meet their needs. And they can use that text to notify caregivers. And also we have a separate text to notify their administrators that they're planning on using the book and to welcome any questions about the book. The other big thing we recommend teachers do is always to be really clear about the connection of that book to the state standards. Right. So we want to make sure that folks know that we're using these books right for academic purposes as well, because there's so much we can use with these rich, diverse texts and to connect them not only to the state standards, but also to the daily objectives. Right. The learning objectives. So make that clear in all of that communication and make it clear at the beginning of the lesson, too, when you're using the book, make it clear to students of those learning connections to the text
0: such great advice because i know so often you know i when i first started teaching i i was notorious for pulling a book off the shelf and just reading it and yeah. sometimes it got me in some hot water because yeah. there was a word that was used or there was a situation and the kids of course would go home talking about it and i had so many emails and so i quickly learned like oh we can't just like we can't just do that but i think for some of these books that we know could be controversial in in the in the minds of some adults who have not you know even opened up themselves all the way it's just it's really really great practice to notify and i'm also thinking about just administrators even though administrators are the top of the school it does not mean that they are 100% in awareness of diversity and so if you're bringing these books and bringing these practices and bringing these conversations to them, it could even help them with their own learning and their own ability to understand that diverse texts are important and they can start, you know, just strengthening their skills as administrators of that school as well. So exactly. Yeah. Really love that. Hey teachers, I'm interrupting this episode for a quick moment because if you're listening to this podcast, then I'll bet you have students who dread writing time. Or maybe you are out of ideas, time, and energy when it comes to planning your writing block. You work so hard, so for once, give yourself the gift of having the planning done for you. My monthly writing prompts are trusted by hundreds of teachers and are a no prep way to spark your students' interest in writing while highlighting special days that occur worldwide. The best part, there's a prompt for every single day of the year. Did I mention that it's already done for you? So what are you waiting for? Head to theliteracydivecom slash prompts to grab your year long bundle of writing prompts. Now, Earlier, you had mentioned about the book banning, and we do know that there are a few states that this is affecting. So if people are in a state where these books are being banned or if they're in a district, what could they do if they're dealing with a district that is actually banning certain books from being used?
1: Yeah, it's a really important question our hearts just break for those teachers and those kids whose identities are just being left out of the curriculum. So we want everyone to keep their jobs because we want them there to support students, right? We want them to continue to be able to pay the rent, pay the bills, etc. So they do need to be really cautious. First thing that, and this is a theme throughout, I guess, is the idea of just building relationships with the students' families, right? So that if If there are any concerns, you want the parents to come to you first instead of calling the superintendent's office or the media. And so so just those relationships are super important. Like Claudia was saying, closely aligning any supplemental materials to the content standards, being really clear about why you're using them. And starting with the district sanctions materials, like the curriculum, right, and then supplementing with videos or texts that advance students' learning carefully in ways that aren't going to get anybody fired. And then there's opportunities to push where you can, right? And don't push where you don't feel safe. So you might not be able to use fiction texts that address directly address LGBTQ plus issues, for example, but you might be able to address those issues through a unit on biology or animal diversity or you might not be allowed to talk about black history, but you can talk about other aspects of students' intersectional identities, such as physical or learning disabilities. So it's like, do what you can where you can in a way that will keep you safe.
0: I love that. I, I love those tips. And I think I think what it makes me leave with is that definitely there's work to do. And you know, every teacher, especially if you're in a place where books are being banned have an opportunity to still, you know, fight for those books and fight for those students. Yeah, this is just and it's a real crucial thing, because I just feel like it's kind of sweeping by state by state by state. And this is going to be very quickly, a really big concern with so many schools and so many students not feeling celebrated or valued or accepted. And that's going to cause teachers to also have just a lot of uh, challenges with that as well. Yeah. No,
1: book banning's affecting, I think, over 5 million students already.
0: That's just mind-blowing. Mind-blowing, especially when we think about once they leave out of the school, they walk into the world, the community. And yeah, it's just, it blows my mind that we're not able to freely and openly prepare students and just inform students and be able to teach them about just the differences that are just all incredible and amazing. I know that diverse books, When now that we know the definition, it goes far past just cultural and it goes far past just those very like layered meanings of diversity. For a teacher who is like, okay, they've done their inventory, they've done their reflection, they are, you know, willing to admit that they really don't use diverse books in their classrooms. For teachers that want to now say, okay, I want to use these books with my kids with my students but i just don't know how to really truly get started because i know there's a lot of emotion that's tied that's tied to something that could be new or that is like a sticky subject. So for those teachers who are just wanting to dive in, what are some very first steps for them to kind of ease them into this new way of bringing diverse books into their classroom?
2: Yeah. So we tell teachers to start with their students. Right. So start with getting to know their students and to keep an eye out for books, maybe that are already in their classroom or their school library or elsewhere that could serve as mirrors. Right. So that reflect their students um, and each and every single one of their students. Right. Backgrounds and identities that serve as windows and that serve as sliding glass doors. Right. So that's the first step is getting to know your students and getting to know them beyond what's in that cumulative folder. Right. That teachers get at the beginning of the year. In our book, we actually have a list of questions that they can use to like interview their students or surveys that they can send out, you know, to the families too, because we can learn a lot about our students from their families, right? From their caregivers. So get to know their students, you know, what do they like? What do they, what do they dislike? How do they describe themselves? How do they describe their, their identities? Right. What's important to them? Because we need to get to know them at that deeper level so that we can select books that are actually diverse for them for every single student in the classroom. So that's really important. So getting to know students first. We also think it's really important for teachers to start, again, I mentioned self-reflection, right, earlier in our conversation, getting to know their students, but then also getting to know themselves, right? We work, both Allison and I work a lot in preparing bilingual teachers, teachers that are going out there to teach in both Spanish and English in bilingual classrooms. And we have found in working with them That a good number of them are very comfortable with like diverse books that address immigration status and language and, and race and culture diversity in that sense. But they're less comfortable maybe with like, um, diversity with religion, right? Or diversity with the LGBTQ plus community. So we need to acknowledge that, that just because we've are we used some diverse books doesn't mean we're going to be comfortable with all of the different diverse books that are out there. So we need to identify those learning opportunities for each of us as teachers so that we can be the best teacher for our students. And we have resources and guiding questions in our books also for teachers to be able to identify those learning opportunities and to grow, right? So identify them and then take steps to learn about these communities that you know very little about because chances are during your career as a teacher, you're going to have a family, you're going to have a student that is diverse in that way and you need to be ready at least at at a basic level to be able to help them feel included, right? In the classroom. So getting to know students, getting to know yourself as a teacher and take steps to, to fill those learning gaps, right? Where you have them. And we think those are really good first steps to start.
0: I think it's all just about taking a step. And I think sometimes, you know, we as teachers will think, oh, if I can't do it all, I just, you know, I'm going to fail at it. I'm not going to try it at all. But I think it's just doing one little step. And then even when you do become comfortable, still reflecting, like you said, on, oh, maybe like religion, I really haven't honestly touched on that. So let me try to familiarize myself and Do my research and talk to people, reach out to people or read books just like the one that you both have written. And I think that's just such a valuable resource that can resource teachers because I can say that I went to a very good college, but in all of my education classes, we never I I did a cultural studies, but it was never in depth to prepare me to have students that were diverse, to have families that were diverse or to have conversations about diversity And then when I got into the educational system and became a teacher, I've worked in three different districts. And I can say that none of them in my, you know, professional development, there is nothing dedicated to what do you do with students who come in your classroom and how do you make it more inclusive and involve, you know, every single child in. I've never had a training like that. So I'm so grateful that you both wrote this book because- For teachers that might have been like me that didn't learn it in college and don't learn it from their professional development, it's really upon ourselves to do the hard work and do the research because we know that that's right for our students. So, so grateful for that. I just have a question that came to mind because I know that, you know, there's a lot of students across the U.S., out of the country in classrooms, and we just have a lot of makeup. But I know that there are some different districts or rural, you know, communities or different communities where maybe there's only one or two types of makeups. And I know that it spans far beyond just, you know, race of, you know, what we look like. But for a class that might all look the same, how important, if any, is it to bring in texts, even if none of them are represented in those texts?
1: It's, it's still super important, right? And it's precisely to what you said earlier is that we're sending these kids out into a diverse world. So just because everyone looks like me right now does not mean that they will look like me when I get to high school, college and out into the real world. And so if we don't give those kids any exposure, since Bishop says that they will get, create a false sense of self, right? Like, That they're overly important and that other people are important enough. Yeah. We just want to get them out there into the world in a safely.
2: I love that. Yeah. I'll just add. So I grew up in a very rural, small town community that wasn't very diverse, even though I grew up in California, right? It wasn't very diverse. And even for me, like my immediate community was really predominantly white and Latino, Mexican-American specifically. And when I went away to college, I was just I like a huge culture shock because there's so many different, you know, um, different cultures, different religions, different everything. And even I, as someone that identifies as a woman of color, having grown up in such a rural community, not being exposed to folks that were beyond, you know, white or Mexican American, I struggled, right, with like learning, right, and and being a little bit more open because I just hadn't been exposed to it um, in my immediate surrounding growing up and in school, so like Allison said, it's really important to all of us. And I, and I share that as a reminder, you know, that even if you're not from like the dominant community in the United States, you also, right? We also need to be exposed to, to differences, right? And know how to navigate those and see folks that are different from ourselves in authentic ways, have conversations about that guided by teachers and supported by peers.
0: And that's just, I mean, just kind of like, thinking and putting all of this into one, it's like if we can reflect as adults that we might not have had this this exposure, we might not have had these conversations. we might not have had these run-ins, then let's just think about how prepared our students can be if they're given what we did not have at that age. I could only imagine, like you said, going to college would be so much different had I even had, a lot of different opportunities with exposure to that as well. So this has just been so eye opening with just understanding the the importance of diverse texts and ensuring that students are represented in children's literature what we're bringing into our classrooms. So I'm so grateful Claudia and Allison for you both being on here and just being able to share your passion, your heart, your expertise, your knowledge And for creating such an amazing resource in your book that can just, I'm sure, just be an incredible resource for teachers all across the U.S. But as we're kind of wrapping this up, are there any just last final thoughts or anything that you can leave with our listeners just to kind of encourage them or to just get them honestly excited about this? Because this is really, really exciting, although I know it can be just different but I just think about what the world could be like with exposure. So just any final thoughts that you all might have.
2: Yes, definitely. So the first thing that comes to mind is when, if you're at all worried about this or nervous, just know that's completely normal, right? All of us have been at different stages. We all enter this work in different phases as well. And I want to, I want to just share with teachers that, you will make mistakes when you're doing this work, right? So if you find yourself making mistakes, don't feel like, you know, oh, I completely failed. I can't do this. I just shouldn't even try. You will make mistakes. We make mistakes all of the time, right? So know that you will make mistakes. You might say say something in slightly the wrong way or something might come out different, right, than you really intended to. That is normal. So what you do is you, if you need to apologize, you apologize. You correct it. You learn from it and you try again. Right. So I just want to normalize that, that mistakes will happen with this work. And that is completely normal. And what we do with those mistakes is what most important. Right. So apologize, correct it, make sure you correct it and then keep moving forward and trying again.
0: That is so good. Yeah. So good. One
1: other thing is just that I think we teachers of color can be seen as doing this work from a selfish perspective. Right. And so I think we just need to be. Thoughtful about who we are as as teachers and what we are able to bring to different contexts?
2: Yes, thank you for bringing that up, Allison. Absolutely. Yeah, as teachers of color and also teachers that are diverse themselves from different backgrounds, right? We might have some teachers that, you know, identify as queer and aren't completely open, right, in their school community because they're nervous about sharing that identity themselves. We want to acknowledge that 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 fear is a little different than it is for someone that's just trying to learn that a little bit. So we just want to put that out there that that is this work is different, it can be challenging for people that are from within these communities, because it can be seen as like self serving, right? Or you're trying to, you know, make my child be this way, you're trying to indoctrinate, we hear that so much, right? My child in this particular way of being, and it's important for people to recognize that, right? That our colleagues as teachers are going to approach this work from a different space. And some of us have to be careful in different ways that others just simply do not. And acknowledging that, how can we support our peers as teachers to keep moving forward in that work, right? There might be something that I can do if I don't identify as queer and something I can say, right, that my partner teacher may not be able to say because it will be received differently from, you know, from them. Thank you for bringing that up. I th- we, that's We both think that's really important. This
0: is so great. I just, I could literally just sit and have, I just have so many questions, but maybe we'll have to do a part two. (laughs) You both, like I said, are just a wealth of knowledge and I've learned so much. And I know that our listeners have learned so much. And for those who are, you know, kind of taking some of your tips, like for those first steps, like I'm just going to, I want to research and I want to learn more about it, I know that you two are great resources. And so for our listeners that might just want to dive in and want to kind of learn more from you or have questions, where can our listeners find you?
1: So we're both our emails are on our university faculty pages. So San Jose State University and Claudia's at Santa Clara University. And then I'm on Twitter at Abracenio21. So I would love to have folks connect. Love to talk about teaching.
0: So all of those links are going to be in the show notes, the emails, the Twitter, the link to their book, and whatever other resources they have. You can find all of those in the show notes, whether it's in your podcast app or on the website. So once again, thank you both so much for being on the show and just sharing your knowledge with us. So grateful and thankful for you. And to our listeners, we will be back next Monday thanks so much for tuning in today. Come hang out with me over on Instagram at The Literacy Dive. I would love to hear from you in my DMs. If you are enjoying this podcast, be sure to hit that follow button and share this with a friend. I'll catch you in the next episode.